Hello, my friends. I love today's episode. I love that you're here. One of the things I am super curious about, or I should say I was super curious about, is how did Las Vegas get to be Las Vegas? Who decided that? I wanted to know. So I did a deep dive and I have the scoop for you. So let's dive in. I'm Sharon McMahon, and welcome to the Sharon Says So podcast. Las Vegas was first explored by the Spanish in the 1820s. Of course, indigenous groups had lived there for thousands of years, but the Spanish began to explore the region that is now Las Vegas in the 1820s. One of the reasons it was of interest is that there were springs there, water springs, water trapped underground, and it sort of sporadically rose to the surface and formed an oasis and had all of this desert plant life. And so the Spanish named the region Las Vegas because it means the meadows in Spanish. That's how it got its name. It had vegetation in what was otherwise a very dusty desert. In the 1850s, Mormon pioneers began to settle that region. Today, of course, we refer to people who belong to the Church of Latter-day Saints as people who are part of the LDS faith. At the time, they were called Mormon pioneers. They eventually decided this is not the place that we are going to settle permanently, at least for the time being, but it was one of the earlier European groups that settled in that region. So in 1864, they added Nevada to the Union. It became the 36th state of the Union. Of course, during that time frame, the United States was all about consolidating its power. And this was during the time of the Civil War. They wanted to strengthen the Union meaning the Union of Free States. So they added it to the Union in 1864, and that just gave the Union, not the Confederacy, gave the Union more strength and more power. Let us zoom ahead. Let's just buzz past the 1870s and 1880s and get to the 1890s. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, 
you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Have you heard of William Clark? You know who he is? Well, he is who Clark County, Nevada is named after, where Las Vegas is. William Clark was from the East Coast, and he eventually settled in Montana. There were gold mines in Montana, and he made a ton of money doing a variety of activities related to gold mining, like supplying gold mines, investing in railroads, copper mining, In fact, at one point, he owned several railroads. Las Vegas was established as a maintenance stop for William Clark's railroads. Railroads, plural. (laughs) He owned like the Salt Lake Railroad, the San Pedro Railroad, the Los Angeles Railroad. And this was a maintenance stop for them as they were traveling along destinations throughout the American West. Because it was established as a maintenance stop, it ensured that there were stable water sources because the railroad helped ensure that. Once there were stable water sources, then that brought people. That is when the growth began to happen in the Las Vegas region. If you have water, we can live here. It's hard for humans to live where there's no water. Turns out. (laughs) So... In 1905, William Clark auctioned off 110 acres of land, and that became part of Las Vegas's downtown. In 1911, Las Vegas was incorporated into Clark County, and gambling was outlawed in Las Vegas during that time frame because of a Nevada statewide ban on gambling. However... Las Vegas was mostly occupied by railroad workers, by ranchers, by saloon owners. It truly was the wild, wild west. Like, who is out there gambling, drinking, all that stuff? It is people that were living in Las Vegas at the turn of the century. And so even though it was illegal, illegal speakeasies, bootleg casinos, like secret gambling halls, they continued to flourish First of all, think about the logistics of this. When you live in Las Vegas, Nevada, which is so far away from anything else at the turn of the century, it was much easier to get away with things, right? It was much easier to just take things into the back room of a saloon and nobody would be any the wiser. So Las Vegas began to develop this reputation for those kind of more illicit activities like gambling, like drinking, etc. And it began to attract people that enjoyed those festivities. Basically, there was just this sort of widespread disregard for the law. (laughs) And as such, it became a breeding ground for organized crime. 
turns out members of organized crime rings are also interested in things like gambling, trafficking of alcohol, because during this time frame was when we were deep into prohibition. Organized crime began to thrive in Las Vegas. So the 1930s were really a pivotal time in Las Vegas history. First of all, President Hoover in 1930 signed the bill that gave the money to build what at the time was called the Boulder Dam, but is now known as the Hoover Dam, which is a sight to behold. The Hoover Dam is still a tourist attraction. In 1931, as a result of the Great Depression, Nevada changed its laws. Nevada was looking for a way to turn its economy around and to attract people to move back to the area. Because when you're having tremendous economic difficulty, living in remote areas in the desert can sometimes be more difficult than moving back east to live with your family, to live where there's water. (laughs) So they changed their laws to legalize gambling in casinos in an effort to attract economic activity and to attract people to moving back to the region. And then in 1933, the United States repealed prohibition. Those three things in the early 1930s set up the dominoes for Las Vegas to become what it is. We have the building of a major attraction. Of course, the Hoover Dam was not built to be a tourist attraction. It was built to dam a river that was then going to be an important source of water and power. But it is a tourist attraction, and it was a feat of engineering. So we begin building the Hoover Dam. We change Nevada's laws so that gambling becomes legal in casinos and begin to attract more people to the area. And then prohibition gets repealed. And so now you have people being able to legally drink and gamble in casinos. That was a huge game changer. It was no longer only people who were breaking the law who were engaged in those kinds of activities. It was legal. And because it was legal, respectable people could do it. So construction workers began flooding Las Vegas. And the population boomed during the Great Depression. The population grew from around 5,000 people to 25,000 people in a very short period of time. Most of that was men. And local business owners were looking for ways to cater to men. So it began to attract activities that we won't go into on this podcast, but that you can imagine would cater to the type of man who was interested in traveling to do some kind of drinking and gambling in the literal Wild West. Crime and mafia rings continued to flourish. They began to establish these very elaborate ways to entertain all of these men who were flocking to the region. So in 1931, Clark County issued its first gambling license. And then a bunch of other gambling licenses were quickly issued as well. Fremont Street is where many of those gambling establishments resided. It was the first paved street in Las Vegas. And Fremont Street had the city's first traffic light in 1931. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
We've all had those embarrassing moments where maybe you've taken your shoes off and you realize like, oh no, oh no, that is not a good smell. Fortunately, Lumi whole body deodorant is making it so none of us ever have to worry about that again. Unlike certain other products, Lumi is powered by mandelic acid to control odor in a new way. It delivers outrageous 72-hour odor control everywhere one might like to use it. In fact, it was patients' concerns about odor that originally inspired the OBGYN who invented Lumi. Fast forward six years and her game-changing whole body deodorant now has over 300,000 five-star reviews. And it works without using heavy perfumes that mask odor, which I really appreciate. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, which is my favorite, and two free products of your choice, like deodorant wipes or a mini body wash. It also has free shipping. And as a special offer for listeners, new customers get 15% off all Lumi products with our exclusive code. And if you combine the 15% off with the already discounted starter pack, that's like 40% off their starter pack. So use code SHARON at lumideodorant.com. That's L-U-M-E-D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T dot com. Mother's Day is almost here. And I want to take just a quick second to appreciate not only my mom, all the moms out there, but anyone who has taken on the role of caregiver. You do everything for someone else. And now it's time to do something for yourself. And that includes starting with your skin. And I've been using our sponsor OneSkin's products for a while now. And I have to tell you, I am really enjoying them. They are very easy to incorporate into my skincare routine. I am really liking the eye cream. And the secret is OneSkin's proprietary OS1 peptide. It is the first ingredient proven to switch off the aging cells that cause lines, wrinkles, and thinning skin. And they have several studies to back it up. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code SHARON at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code SHARON. And after your purchase, they'll ask where you heard about them. Please support this show and tell them we sent you. The Hoover Dam was completed in 1935. The Southern Nevada Power Company became the first utility service to create and supply power from the Hoover Dam. Southern Nevada Power then began supplying power to the city of Las Vegas and to Fremont Street. And it was just like, ta-da! Suddenly, everything is electricity. We have all of this power coming from the finished dam project. And people begin to call Las Vegas Glitter Gulch because it, all of these businesses had electric lights and all of these huge casinos that could then have lights that were on 24-7. By the time most of the construction was done in Las Vegas... Las Vegas was well-established enough that it began attracting more visitors. 
and it began attracting a different type of visitor, not men who wanted to visit the Wild West, but a more established, higher class, higher social status type of individual, somebody who wanted to see the feat of engineering that was the Hoover Dam, and it began creating a need for higher class hotels. If you're, you know, a well-to-do married couple, you don't necessarily want to stay above a saloon, right? You want to stay somewhere nice. You want to see what there is to see. And so in 1941, the El Rancho Vegas Resort opened just outside of the downtown area. And then when other hotels and casinos saw the success of the El Rancho, they began opening casinos and hotels on this piece of land outside of what was Las Vegas proper in what is now known as the Strip. A lot of them were built around the sort of like Old West theme because by the 1940s, the Old West was kind of in the past, but people were still interested in it. So they built them around this Old West theme until 1946 when a mobster whose name was Bugsy Siegel. If you're into organized crime rings, the mob, you definitely recognize his name. He opened a hotel, like a resort, called The Flamingo. And it was more Hollywood than Old West. He brought in a celebrity, the comedian Jimmy Durante. Ultimately, he had a kind of a string of bad luck because there was bad weather. Too many people wanted to come. And he didn't have enough hotel rooms, so they left and went to other casinos. But it set a precedent, and it created what we now know as this sort of glitzy Las Vegas. People saw the Flamingo's success and realized that maybe Old West theming isn't the way to go. Maybe more Hollywood glitz and glamour is the way to go. So during the 1950s and 60s, mobsters... Organized crime people helped fund projects like the Sahara and the Sands and the Showboat and the Riviera. The money that built those casinos was sort of a mixture of Wall Street banks, organized crime, and the Mormon church. One of the things that I found very interesting was many times investors could not get a traditional bank loan from just like a New York type bank, but they could get a loan from a bank that was owned by a member of the LDS community. And so Las Vegas, as we know it, was in part funded by the Mormon church because it was a way that they could make money and they were willing to engage in a slightly riskier type of investment for the potential for a large return. And other people who wanted to invest in those kinds of projects and couldn't get them from other banks, well, they had an avenue to be able to construct these massive hotel and casino projects. And so by 1954, we really start seeing that Rat Pack era, you know, like the Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Elvis Presley, Bing Crosby kind of vibe. And 8 million tourists a year were visiting Las Vegas. In 20 years, we go from the Old West and like, it's illegal to gamble and drink here. In 20 years, we have 8 million visitors a year and Elvis Presley headlining at casinos. I mean, that is 
a fast pace of change that is very fast. Hi, friends. It's Sharon. If you enjoyed a recent episode with author and public theologian Issa Macaulay, then I have the perfect podcast recommendation for you. No Small Endeavor. Produced by Great Feeling Studios and PRX, No Small Endeavor is an acclaimed podcast series that explores what it means to live a good life. Each episode, host and award-winning theologian Lee C. Camp brings you thoughtful conversations with artists, philosophers, politicians, and theologians like Hollywood legend Rob Reiner and civil rights hero Reverend James Lawson about what it means to find true happiness and flourish in our everyday life. So don't miss out. Follow No Small Endeavor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. And tell them I sent you. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. A lot can happen in the next 3 years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend, but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I got to tell you guys this, though. This was something that I was like... I did not know that. In sort of this Vegas golden age, people would travel to Las Vegas to watch the United States government set off atomic blasts outside of the city. I'm sure you know that a lot of our like nuclear waste and nuclear facilities. They're in the desert of Nevada. In fact, 80% of Nevada is owned by the United States government. But for 12 years, every three weeks, for 12 years, the United States government would set off these atomic blasts and people would go watch them as a tourist attraction. Some of these blasts were so huge, they could be seen all the way to Montana. And Las Vegas authorities would print out calendars with the bomb testing dates for tourists. They'd be like, okay, December 17th, we have a bomb going off. Would you like to go see that? And casinos advertised rooms and they would sell packages that would offer fantastic views of atomic explosions. Like this is a thing in the United States in the 1950s and 60s. I would like the weekend package with a view of the atomic bomb testing, please. <laughs> that went on for 12 years. In particular, the Skyrim at the Desert Inn, 
was a favorite for this, for people who wanted to watch these atomic bomb tests, because it had this very panoramic view of the Las Vegas horizon, Nevada desert, and people could be enjoying their leisurely meal while watching an atomic bomb test go off. (laughs) That, you know, really iconic Las Vegas sign, you know exactly the one I'm talking about, the one that's really lit up, the Las Vegas in lights, was designed by a woman named Betty Willis for the young electric sign company, which I think has a fantastic acronym, the YESCO. She designed that and that went up in 1959, the YESCO sign. So in the 1960s, bigger developers began building bigger and bigger projects. Howard Hughes, film tycoon, checked into the penthouse at the Desert Inn. He bought that hotel and a bunch of others, $300 million worth of real estate. And that really began transitioning Las Vegas from this sort of like, the mafia runs this town into a corporate run city. Over the next 20 years from the 1960s to the 1980s, you see this transition, this transformation from the origins of the Las Vegas Strip into what we know the Las Vegas Strip to be now, which is very much themed resorts, where we have resorts that are themed around things like Egypt and Paris and Venice and New York. So they eliminated, cut down, raised is the word I'm looking for. (laughs) You don't cut down a casino, you knock it down, you raise it. Raised being (laughs) R-A-Z-E-D. Raising the old casinos and building these new, extremely elaborate mega resorts like the Bellagio and like Caesars Palace, etc. So today, casinos and entertainment are still Las Vegas's major employer, right? Las Vegas has over 42 million visitors every year. And there are 232 casinos in Clark County, Nevada. Do you say Nevada or Nevada? I have found that the region of the country you are from indicates how you will say it. Las Vegas, however, is no longer the gambling capital of the world. It was for a long time, but now it isn't. Now that belongs to a Chinese territory in the South China Sea, and it is way bigger than Las Vegas, has way more lavish and decadent casinos and hotels, etc. I got to give you a couple more interesting facts about William Clark, the man who owned the railroads and then auctioned a piece of land off. And that land became part of Las Vegas's downtown. By the way, there's a difference between Las Vegas's downtown and the strip. Those are two different places. William Clark was one of America's richest men because of his investments in mining and railroads. When he died in 1925, he was worth $300 million. And that was in 1925 money. $300 million in 1925 money is worth approximately $4 billion today. That is insane. That is insane that one person could generate that much wealth for themselves in the American West. So interesting that history is full of people attempting to consolidate wealth and power for themselves, right? Like that is the story of humanity. And William Clark is no different. He accumulates all of this tremendous wealth for himself, but he still wants the power. So he decides, I'm going to run for the United States Senate. 
he gets elected. And the U.S. Senate said, hard pass on you, William Clark. We refuse to seat you as a senator. We refuse. The reason that was revealed that they refused to seat William Clark was that he bribed members of the Montana state legislature in return for their votes. At that time, by the way, senators were chosen by state legislatures. They were not chosen by the voters directly. And that changed in part because of William Clark. He was one of the reasons that we passed the 17th Amendment, which changed how senators were selected. He was one of the reasons the man who Clark County, Nevada is named after He was running for Senate in Montana, where he was from, bribed the state legislature, said, hey, if you elect me, I'll give you money. He gets to the United States Senate. They find out about the scheme and they refuse to seat him as a senator. He said, no worries. I'll run again. And he did. He ran again. And in 1901, was seated as a senator, served one term as a senator. Isn't that fascinating that the person who was very, very instrumental in setting up the foundation for what Las Vegas would become was one of America's richest men and attempted to bribe his way into power because he had the money and he was going to use the money to buy himself some power. And then we changed the constitution in part because of him. In fact, When one person criticized him for attempting to bribe the Montana legislature, his response was, I never bought a man who wasn't for sale. I never bought a man who wasn't for sale. What? I mean, that is just like abhorrent today, right? We know that bribery still happens in various places around the world, but the idea that somebody could just bribe their way into being a senator, most of us are like, what? is ridiculous. Last thing before I let you go for today, you know who hated William Clark was Mark Twain, famous American icon, author Mark Twain. This is what Mark Twain had to say about him. He is as rotten a human being as can be found anywhere under the flag. He is a shame to the American nation, and no one has helped to send him to the Senate who did not know that his proper place was the penitentiary with a ball and chain on his legs. To my mind, he is the most disgusting creature that the Republic has produced since Boss Tweed's time. I mean, if that is not a verbal tongue lashing, he's the most disgusting creature He belongs in the penitentiary with the ball and chain on his legs. He's a shame to the nation. Like zero love lost between William Clark and Mark Twain. (laughs) Oh my goodness. There are so many characters like this in the American West. This is part of what makes the American West fascinating. And I just found this evolution of Las Vegas becoming what it is so interesting It was because there was underground water there that it was explored by the Spanish and it had all of this vegetation and they thought, well, this might be a good spot. And then once William Clark decided to make it a maintenance stop for his railroads, that was what began attracting people to go there. It's all interrelated. I love it. Well, I hope you had a couple of brain tingle moments. Hope you had a few little mind blown moments. The atomic explosion tourism thing, come on. That had to be a mind-blown moment for you. All right, my friends, I will see you soon. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Sharon Says So podcast. I am truly grateful for you. And I'm wondering if you could do me a quick favor. Would you be willing to follow or subscribe to this podcast or maybe leave me a rating or a review? Or if you're feeling extra generous, would you share this episode on your Instagram stories or with a friend? All of those things help podcasters out so much. I cannot wait to have another mind blown moment with you next episode. Thanks again for listening to the Sharon Says So podcast.